Well, good morning, and we are in a series called Family Matters. We're actually in our third week of the series of Family Matters, and uh, I'm excited about this uh, week specifically. This is a week that we got to rally our arms around uh, the marriage, all right? This is a marriage of God, and so as we talk about Family Matters, uh, we've got a slide that we've been using to kind of show you uh, the structure and... Um, Let's make sure we throw that up here. So man of God and woman of God, those have been the last two weeks that we spent. If you're new with us today or you missed one of those weeks due to vacation, uh, get back and listen to those. All right. It gives you a great understanding of the foundation of what we're talking about. Two individuals on fire for Jesus Christ, a man of God we covered last week and a woman of God the week before and what that looks like and what that feels like within the home, all right? And so two individuals on fire, and from there, you can then bring them together and go after a marriage on fire for God. That's what we're looking at today is that next step. After marriage, then you build on parenting. And why build it like this? Because I'm telling you, if you go after one of the higher levels and you don't have one of the lower levels, it doesn't go very well, all right? And so let's get that kind of settling in. We got to build up in what we're going after, starting with each of us individually, then working on the marriage, then working on the parenting. That's how we go after a family of God, all right? So today we're talking about marriage. And uh, we're going to talk about how to have a good marriage. How, all right? But before we do that, maybe we should talk about what marriage is. So I just wrote this down. Marriage, I got this off the internet. So it must be true. <laughs> marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that's too warm... Besides someone who's sleeping in a room that is clearly too cold, right? Isn't that true? How often we uh, have differences between us and we have to learn to live with those and we have to laugh through those. We have to laugh through those, right? And uh, it's important for us to understand that God has a sense of humor too. And uh, sometimes he brings us together with the very person that'll take that sharp edge off. And uh, marriage, that is a social perspective on it. Uh, what's God's perspective? So, uh, you know what? I just wrote down six things. Each one of these could be a sermon in themselves. Uh, we're just going to spend 30 seconds on each or even less. But uh, here we go. Get ready to write some verses down about what marriage is, God's view. All right. Marriage is, number one, Genesis 2:24. Marriage is the union of a man and a woman. A union of a man and a woman. Hey, Pastor Tim. Uh, that's not very politically correct. Are you not keeping up with the times? And, and uh, yeah, I know what society's saying. I'm telling you what God is saying. All right. And uh, enough said there. Let's be really careful. We don't redefine words and take the Bible hostage and then call the Bible out of date. Uh, God's word is timeless because God is timeless. And uh, we're following after what he has to say. That's my 50 minute message in 30 seconds. There you go. The union of a man and a woman, Genesis 2.24. Hey, it's two becoming one, also Genesis 2.24. Two becoming one. And we're going to talk about unity a lot today, so I'm not going to spend much time there. But the two become one. Uh, all too often, a marriage is thought of as two people. And uh, while there is some level of, level of truth to that, there should be a oneness that is what is gone after and expressed. Oneness, big time, in detail. And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, number three, uh, marriage is a covenant before God. It's a covenant. Malachi 2, 14. Malachi 2, 14. It's a covenant before God. It's not just some agreement. It's not a, hey, why don't we kick the tires on this and give it a shot? It's a covenant. Uh, the Hebrews would have done this when they got married. They would take an animal and they would split it in half. 
And the entrails and the blood would be in the middle. And for the wedding, you would walk between the two halves in the blood. And when you got through it at the end, when you took your vow, your vow was, may this happen to me and worse if I do not care for my spouse for life. Covenant. Get ready. The marriage is not just some social invention to have a good time together. It's a covenant before God to make a commitment. Okay? That's a big deal. Covenant before God. Uh, Number four, physical and for physical life. It is meant to last for life. Romans 7, 1. The marriage is meant to be for the length of your physical life. Did you know that? And uh, it's not for sickness and in health and richer and poorer until you tick me off. That seems to be the vow we're taking nowadays, and let's stop that. It is until death do us part. Uh, Romans 7, 1. Uh, so hang on. If marriage is a covenant before God, it's a union between two people. It makes us one, and it's meant to be for life. Are you telling me there's never the ability to divorce? What are you saying? And uh, let me just say this real quickly. Uh, yes, there are two reasons for divorce and two only. Okay? Being really clear here, I could probably speak for three weeks on this, but uh, two reasons for divorce, and I'll give them to you. Matthew 19, 1 through 10. It says, if there is marital unfaithfulness would be the term some of your Bibles use. Uh, the word in the original language is, if there is illicit sexual intercourse. That's what the word means. It means sex outside of the marriage. Okay? If that's what's gone on, then the covenant can be considered broken. It is not commanded. It is permitted. Christ was really clear in Matthew 19 to change those words. It is permitted So reconciliation is still a great thing to go after. And if that's possible, if there's not been such devastation, if there is a chance to try to work through that, that's great. And that's honoring to God and showing who he is. Um, But if that's not possible, well, this is a legitimate uh, reason for divorce. Matthew 19, 1 through 10. And then the second one is 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 15. Uh, The reason for divorce is if an unbeliever walks. If an unbeliever walks, they're like, I'm done with that Jesus thing you're in and, I, and I'm over with it and I'm out of here. And, and they walk. Now hear me, this is not the believer saying, oh, you're an unbeliever, then I walk from you. It's not that. The believer hangs in as long as the unbeliever is willing. And so it's, do you understand who Jesus Christ is? And if they're like, I'm done with you and I'm done with this Jesus thing, I'm out of here. And they walk. That's a legitimate reason for divorce as well. God calls that a covenant break. And uh, why? It doesn't say exactly, but I believe it's this. They're not willing to sit underneath God Almighty and they're breaking their covenant with him. And he's like, they're broken with me. You can declare that broken. Okay? And so that's what it looks like for a covenant before God to be broken. It breaks sexually and it can break if the unbeliever walks. Those are the two reasons. And uh, you're like, well, hang on. Illinois says no fault. And uh, so just know this. Uh, there is the law, one umbrella you're under, And then there is God's covenant. And when the law says it's done, that doesn't mean God's covenant is done. Clear? And so we have to be careful on that. Again, I could preach on and on for this. I'm just going to leave it at that. Please be careful. There are two reasons for divorce. Follow through with those. (coughs) Biblical remarriage occurs after a biblical divorce or the loss of a spouse. All right? And so marriage, it is meant for life. It is a union between two people, a man and a woman. It is meant to bring them together and make one. And it is intended for a huge purpose. 
for us to model Christ with his church. All right. So that's what marriage is. How in the world do you have a good one of those? In fact, in Matthew 19, verse 10, after Jesus got done saying this to the disciples, they were like, why would you ever get married? That was the disciples answer. It shows you how much they were in quitter mode. You know what I mean? So uh, how do we have a good marriage? Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and let's get it on. Ephesians 5, 22. We got ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you, all right? Ephesians 5, 22. How do we have a good marriage? Wives, I'm just going to tell you that he began with the wife, and that's why I'm beginning with the wife. All right? So here we go. Wives, uh, biblically submit to your husbands. Wives, biblically submit to your husbands. Starting in verse 22. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And, uh, oh, great. There's that S word. Right? Can't tell me that's not what you weren't thinking, ladies. I hear you. And so let's be really clear. We're going to talk about what biblical submission is today, and we're going to make it very clear. All right? Let's not assume. Let's get it clear. So before we do that, let's just uh, make sure we get some of the stuff that he put around it. He said, wives, submit to your own husbands. All right. So this is a call to what goes on inside the home. There is a structure that God's putting in place as he's teaching. He's not, he's not only creating order within the home, but he's also saying, this is how it's going to work between me and the church. All right. And he says that right afterwards. So wives, there is a responsibility within the own home to understand authority structures or roles, if you will. It says for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Christ is the head, and so the man is the head. Uh, That's going to mean a lot of responsibility for the guy, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Huge responsibility. Everybody say huge responsibility. responsibility. Guys, you've got a big job. And uh, ladies, your job is going to be to kind of make sure he's able to do that. That's what it means to sit under his headship, all right? And uh, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior, Guys, your model is Christ the Savior. And you're going to be that to your wife. And wives, that's what you're submitting under. That's your husband. That's the model. That's the goal God has planned. It says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Uh, Submit in how much? Yeah, not some things. Not the things I agree on. But in everything. And so that's a big deal. We got to piece this together. It's an under everything Underneath the husband to protect and provide and okay, we've said enough. What does this submit word mean? Like here's what it doesn't mean Kowtow Get on your knees Uh, No opinion from you does not mean these things does not mean there is a dictator in the room And it's not you and it doesn't mean these things, right? So what does submission mean? All right, well, let's walk it through and let's talk how to actively do this. Um, I just wrote these words down. Submit. Notice it says as to the Lord, as to the Lord. So this is going to be a vertical worship going on between you and God, and you will be recognizing your Godship over you, his Godship over you as you respond to him. Um, It is not just a horizontal kowtowing, but a vertical worship. I wrote this submit to your own husband's Ladies, this is my understanding of submission. 
Allow him to lead as God called him to. Allow him to lead as God called him to. I don't know if I can be more clear than that. And guys, without her losing any of her identity in the oneness. Okay? Allow her to lead as God called him to. And guys, without losing her identity in that oneness. She's allowed to have some thoughts and opinions along the way. In fact, we're going to talk about that in just a second. So, Tim, that's pretty countercultural today. Like, I'm telling you, you preach this and this could be a seat emptier. And uh, we're okay with that, just so you know. We're going to preach what God's word said and what God does in here is what God does in here. And that's what we're going to go after. And, and so, yes, it is countercultural. It wasn't then. And uh, I agree with you. It wasn't countercultural then. And so maybe this thing is just dated and it should be thrown away. And it's just cultural and it should be done. And how do you know when it's that? And I'll tell you how you know. When you're reading and it tells you to do something and then it tells you why, if the why is cultural, well, then it's cultural. If the why is theological, then it's done. It's meant for life. So he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Purpose statement for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Question, is Christ still the head of the church? Then let's talk about submission. All right? So wives, submit to your husbands. It is, yes, it was a cultural thing. No, it's not today. And yes, it's still something God wants done. All right? Uh, Don't kid yourself. This is exactly what he wants. Okay, here we go. So some steps to submission. I put it down as three steps, and we're going to walk it through. So the first step, uh, nurture your personal walk with God. Nurture your personal walk with God. There is no way you're going to submit as to the Lord if there is no as to the Lord. It's time to be spent with him. It's time learning from him and growing in him. It's time in his word. It's time in prayer. It's time hearing from God. Let God's walk with you be nurtured, okay? So nurture that personal walk with God. Uh, That's going to be the first step. Second, openly discuss your desires and needs with gentleness and respect. Openly discuss your desires and needs with gentleness and respect. Huge deal. Uh, what do you think about this, hon? Guys, be learning from this for the moment. Feedback time, interact time. And uh, so what are your thoughts on it? Here are my thoughts on it. We have to make a big decision right now. And so instead of me taking my position and you take your position and then we fight until somebody wins, everybody say bad plan. I agree with you. Maybe we just work it through. So let me hear from you. What are your thoughts on this? What are my thoughts on this? Let's talk it out, all right? Discussing it allows two people to become one in their planning, all right? And uh, so openly discuss your desires. Third step, well, what if you disagree? We've talked about it, and he's a punk. No, don't say that. Yeah. We've talked about it, and uh, we do disagree. What do we do? First step, uh, discuss or list the pros and cons. This is my thought on it. This is not necessarily some biblical statement on it. I'm just saying you might want to get down to why do you think that's valuable? Here's why I think something's valuable. And this is what I'm thinking. And this is the cost in doing it. And discuss the pros and cons a little bit. Try to start driving yourself to a little more logical discussion if you can. Okay. A lot of times things can get emotionally charged, right? And uh, heads up, the more tired you are, the more emotionally charged it is. And uh, if you need to take a break, it's okay to say, wow, could we talk about this tomorrow? All right. Be careful. Discuss the pros and cons. Be wise about it. 
All right, next step. Identify what's preference versus sin. Identify preference versus sin. I'm telling you, God told me we're supposed to eat at Texas Roadhouse tonight. <laughs> right? Be careful what you bring the weight of the world upon. Right? And, and what's God really calling you to? Is it preference or is it sin? And, and uh, you know, we're, we're wrestling with finances right now. And so, uh, babe, here's the plan. I saw the offering plate back there. So on your way out, grab one. Right? Ladies, you're allowed to not submit to that. Right? Submit as to the Lord. And so uh, that's sin. And, and so I label it as such. And I don't have to follow sin. All right? And so get it labeled. What's preference and what's sin? You're going to be amazed how much you battle over that is preference. Once you start putting that label on it, you're like, doggone, that's preference too. That's what's going to be happening. All right? And now you start understanding. So this is really two people learning to live together. Okay. Getting it. And so preference versus sin. Here we go. Third step then. If we disagree, then if you still disagree and it's not sin, well, then trust the judgment of your husband and allow him to lead. Trust the judgment of your husband and allow him to lead. This is the moment where submission rubber hits the road. All right. This is it. Up until now, it's let's talk. We don't agree. Let's talk again. Let's make sure we understand each other. And are you hearing how much there's a, there should be two people sharing in this? The two have become one. It's not the two have become him. Are you hearing me? The two have become one. There's a uniqueness. There is something new that's formed as the two of you have come together and your conversations will bring that out. All right. That's what it looks like. The two have become one. And, and so go after that. Talk it through. In fact, if you get to a point where you disagree and it's not sin, well, that's the point where you go, okay, time to bend. Uh, now, let me just say this. Guys, if you're finding yourself throwing that ace of spades trump card every single time you talk, you're throwing it way too often. In fact, I'd say it more like this. If you throw that more than twice a year, maybe, you're trumping out way too much. Are you hearing me, guys? I need all eyes looking here. Stop throwing the trump card of I'm in charge. The end. That is not biblical. There is a chance to share together and learn together and grow together and pick restaurants together and choose where you're going to go on vacation together and whatever. I'm just throwing things out right now. Be careful. Work together as a team. And if you're constantly throwing the ace of spades on everything, I win. Yeah, well, that's nice. You want that? I win. And, and I win again and again. Hey, that's oppressive, okay? Uh, that is not the game plan. It is work together as a team. Your goal is to find out what you could live with and what she can live with and try to bring that into play most of the time. And then when you feel God banging on your soul saying, this is where we need to head, well, then you hang with that and you say, I'm sorry, hon. I really feel like this is when I got a call. We got to head this way, all right? Everybody understand that? Biblical submission. Does it look a little different than maybe you thought when you walked in the room? Some of you are not been down. Some of you are like side to side. I'm not going to admit it, but it looked different. And uh, just be careful. Uh, God has designed this where there is headship, where there is ownership for the problem, guy, that's you, but where there's team. And so you work that through. All right? That's biblical submission. We talked about what it means as to the Lord and to your own husband, because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church in everything. 
That's where we need to be submitting. All right, ladies? Walking through this every single time. Guys, this is a plan to lead through. Let's see what God does. So, uh, got this story this week. There were two lines of husbands in heaven. One for the dominant husbands and one for the passive, submissive husbands. The submissive husband line extended almost out of sight. Uh, There was one man in the dominant husband line, one man only, standing there. So the angel walks up to him and he's like, looks kind of weak, looks kind of frail, I don't get it. So how come you're the only guy standing in this line? What's going on? He's like, my wife told me to stand here. (laughs) Thought it was a funny joke. I don't know. Hey, let's be careful. All too often, we flip the roles in the house because, ladies, let's be honest, you're around the house a lot often. You might be the one running the home all day long, and you're going to know a lot. We forget things. We forget things, and then we start leading, and we don't know what we're talking about sometimes, and we have to be careful. Guys, lead carefully. Lead by getting direction and input, working together. But guys, do know this. You do end up giving an answer for how your family went before God. So be careful. And ladies, know this. Your husband will give an answer for how your family went, not you. Watch out. Help him lead. Wives, submit to your husbands. All right? Fair enough? Fair enough? All right. So ladies, question. How is your submission doing before God? How's your submission doing before God as to the Lord? Next question. How's your submission doing to leadership, to headship in your home? By the way, let me just throw this in here on the side. Uh, If your statement is, well, I submit to God, fine. I just can't submit to the men or leaders that God has put over me. Uh, That's bunk. That isn't real. It doesn't work. It is untrue. Uh, God has placed certain headships in this world and we sit under God well by sitting under the leadership he has placed well. All right? So be careful. If you're trying to say, I sit under God well, just not you, uh, that's not real. All right? How are you doing sitting under what God's brought into your home? Wow, that's a heavy load, huh? All right, husbands. Paul says your turn. So here we go. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially. Uh, He starts out in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That is the plan. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. This word in the Greek is agape. It means with a godly love, with a sacrificial love. It says uh, to how to do it. It gives us a handful of reasons here, methods, all right? As Christ loved the church. Your example is how Jesus treated you. That's your example of love, guys. I'm not sure what it looks like for me to love my wife in this moment. Well, how has Christ treated you in the midst of your even maybe sin? How's that going? And what's Christ doing as he's working with you and shaping you and as he's forgiving you and as he's coming to the cross for you, Romans 5, 8, and demonstrating his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, that's how you love and lead in the home is before your spouse has moved towards you, you are moving towards her. 
is before your spouse has moved towards you, you're moving towards her. I'm telling you, fights occur because you say, oh no, you did not just do that to me. And then we say, because you have treated me as such, I will now treat you as such. That is not love biblically. Uh, Love is as Christ has treated me, so I now treat you. Oh, I'm being mistreated. Hmm. So is Christ. And uh, it's time to lean in and love with all you've got. It hurts, Tim. I'm with you on that. I hear you on that. That's still the call. Love with all you've got. And uh, we'll get to what the balance looks like. Paul covers that. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Here's another purpose statement, that she might grow to be more like Christ, that he might sanctify her. Guys, how many times in your day are you working with your wife and you're thinking, Lord, may she look more like you. And what do I need to do to make sure that happens? May she look more like you. That's how I'm leading here. That in this home, my family will become more like you, God. And and Lord, what do you want done that she could look more like you? And I'm not talking like, let me give you the 19 reasons I think you need to change this area of your life. I'm talking like, how can I help set things up that you are protected and safe and seeing God for who he is and running towards him? Are you creating an environment where your wife is in awe of God and growing in him? Sanctifying her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. With the word. Guys, you need to lead in a way where scripture is the center of your home. Maybe it's with uh, family devotions. Maybe it's with the advising counsel you give. Maybe it's with uh, different pieces of truth or action that you have. But the word must be preeminent in your decision making and living. Living in a way where the word of God is bathing over you, pouring over you, and then you're bringing it to your family and helping them grow. Longing for them to see Christ more as he is. This isn't to win a fight. This is to see her grow. He says that she might, that Christ might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Uh, How well do you take care of yourself, guys? Take care of her that well, too. Uh, Your first step in protection is often protect me. Your first step in protection needs to be to protect her. All right? Husbands, love your wives. So uh, I'm not sure I'm getting this love thing, Tim. I'm not sure I get it. Well, let me just say it this way. As Christ loved the church, gospel-centered. All right? And the gospel isn't just to be saved, The gospel is to be sanctified. The gospel isn't just there for that moment we like somehow make a decision and Christ is now our king. And from then on, ignore the gospel. We have all this to-do list. The gospel is everything. The gospel should rock our lives from beginning to end as he sanctifies us for the whole of our lives. Gospel-centered is the love plan. Gospel-centered is what it looks. christ Modify, or modeling is what it looks like. Christ modeling. May God be at work in your life. All right, so top five ways to love your wife. Let's get practical. If you want to call it this, an intimacy recipe. Top five ways to love your wife. Number one, protect and pray for her. Protect and pray for her. Guys, you need to love her as you'd love yourself. Protect her. Have her back. 
If somebody's jamming her, if somebody's speaking ill of her, if somebody's hurting her, you're stepping in. It doesn't mean you're blind to the truth. You might need to hear some of what's going on and be able to help her understand some things over time. But you absolutely have her back. And nothing is going to go down that's sinful and hurtful that's going to jam her. Guys, be in the middle. Love your wife. Be a part of it. Protect her. Pray for her regularly, daily. A simple question. Does your wife feel safe with you? Does your wife feel safe with you? You might be like, yeah. You might want to ask her over lunch. Or maybe after lunch when you're at home. You might want to ask how it's really going. Do you feel safe with me? And see what she has to say. That's a tough one. Uh, It's amazing how tender the feelings in the heart can be. Make sure you're protecting that heart. Number two, support her in her interests and needs. Support her in her interests and needs. Uh, This is not all about the get on my plan. Uh, What does she want to be about in her life? Where is she headed with hobbies or interests? Um, Be prepared to go do those things that lift her up. Be prepared to be a part of riding two miles at 1130 on a Saturday afternoon as your, or morning as your wife is preparing for a half Ironman. And every neighbor that sees you says, why aren't you running? And you have absolutely no answer other than, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Uh, supporter in her interests. Number three, radical transparency. Radical transparency. Listen, confession before your God of every single thing that needs to go. I am done with any sin standing between me and my God. And Lord, what do you need that needs to go from my life? I want to worship you as pure as I possibly can. Radical transparency before your God and then before your spouse. Being real about what you're working on. Being real about what needs to go. The model that you give as you go radically after removing sin in your life will be amazing for teaching them growth. Radical transparency. It is truly loving to uh, confess and apologize and forgive repeatedly. Right? Be all over that. Number four, undivided attention. Undivided attention. This is like when they're talking to you and it's the fifth game of the Blackhawks and, and questions are being asked or something is coming up that's really important. You're willing to actually put it on DVR for a moment if you have that. You're willing to pause it and miss what might happen. It's okay. You'll see it again sometime. My family matters. And we have to talk through some things. You'd be amazed what comes up when two of your family out of four are going to Haiti. And so we're watching the Blackhawks game and working through some things last night. And some things came up at a couple different times of, inter- of interrupt. And, and it was okay to be working through that stuff. And, and um, make sure that you take an undivided attention. Not staring at your phone while she's talking. Not grunting. Not uh, staring at the golf game. Or whatever it is that's taking your attention. But actually listening and connecting eyes and hearing where they're at. Undivided attention. No text, no email, no game is more important than your spouse, the end. That's where it needs to be. Undivided attention. Number five, uh, speak her love language. Have you heard of that book, The Love Languages? Look, I'm not, I'm not a huge seller of the love language book. Uh, it's got some things that are good in it. It's got some things that are a little weird in it. But I will tell you this. It is a good observation of this. 
people tend to speak different languages of love, all right? And I'll just tell you the five real quick. Uh, here we go. Might run and write these down, speaker language. Uh, quality time. I just love playing games together. I love being together. I love just sitting together and hearing your thoughts and my thoughts, quality time. Uh, touch. This is non-sexual touch. This is playing with their hair, rubbing their back. <laughs> this is not my area. Just telling you, I'm, I get an F on this one and I have to keep being taught by my girls and quality touch. Uh, this is non-sexual holding a hands, uh, whatever it is there where you're sending a message of, I love you. All right. And I'm not trying to get something or take something. I'm trying to give something, uh, gifts. Um, this is giving uh, small gifts, reminder gifts. I thought about you. It's a, a dollar gift. It doesn't have to be expensive. It's, I just wanted to let you know I was thinking about you. Words of affirmation. Awesome job. Way to go. And uh, acts of service. Like when they're not there, you're doing things they needed to get done. You're helping them out. Okay, so those are the languages. Uh, you speak a language. And uh, probably a couple. And one of them is your primary. You probably speak something. We'll call it English. I guarantee she's speaking French or Spanish. And so you need to learn to talk across the languages and learn how to say things and, and be able to get that message across. Spend some time communicating that you love her, all right? And so protect and pray for her, support her in her interests and needs, radical transparency, undivided attention, speak her language, five steps towards loving her in a way where she can feel totally lifted up and cherished, all right? Um, so an illustration, I'll just tell you this. This past week, I was looking up um, breaking marriages that break up. This is what they found. The number one problem in marriages that break up, this was not done by uh, a church team or a godly team or a biblical team, but what they found repeatedly is the more you jab at your spouse, the harder it gets. The more you take uh, teardowns as your opportunity to speak to them, the harder it gets. And in fact, they got to a point where once you're up above 20, 30, 40% of your conversation being little digs, it starts to get hard to build on that. And so then you start building bitterness walls between you. Now the conversation comes down and you're still sending the same digs. So your percentage goes up. You're beginning to ice the marriage. And so they call it the seven-year itch, if you want to call it that, right? There's things that happen where in the first couple of years you're doing well. Then you start, eh, we just have this and we just don't. And you just sort of a little less time and a little less management of forgiveness and a little more digs. And over time, the digs rise. And all of a sudden, it seems like we never get along. And, and then the next step is out. And uh, be careful with that. How you communicate your love for her, guys, keeps that marriage together. You hearing me? How you communicate your love for her keeps that marriage together. Getting those walls down and taking care of her. So simple question, guys. Are you on a destructive path or are you loving your spouse? Are you on a destructive path or are you loving your spouse? Time to love her with all you've got. All right? So that's wives and husbands individually. Now he goes to corporate. Uh, wives and husbands, build and enjoy the oneness. Build and enjoy the oneness. He starts in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, and when we see a therefore, we say, right? He's just built this whole thing up. Hey, come on, man. It's all about the oneness and the togetherness and this Christ over the church and this amazing thing going on. And so therefore, well, let's live it that way then. 
A man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife. Leave and cleave. Have you heard that phrase? Right? So that's the old King James phrase, leave and cleave. So cleave, it doesn't mean like, I heard this at a wedding once. I'm not kidding. It's not a meat cleaver. <laughs> that is horrible. That is not a marriage. All right. It is hold to and cling to with all you have. It is long for and hold on to, uh, to leave and to cling to your spouse as your first priority, as your first priority. It is time to separate from your parents and grab on to your spouse. Uh, so let me talk first to in-laws. For those of you who have kids who are married, uh, you have a job. Step back. Step out of the way and bring the two of them together as firsts and help them to talk to one another. And if they're coming to you and asking for you to get in the middle, as much as that may make you feel important, your job is to say, what does he think? What does she think? Where are you guys at on that? Pull them together. In-laws, that's your job. Help them do the holding on to each other fast. And if you're married, remember this. The person standing right beside you should not be your mom or dad. It's your spouse. Holding on tight as you work together through this thing. And for those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. And managing in-law moments is a moment. And you have to manage it well. With the two of you standing side by side, working through it together, being gentle with the family. But you too must have a position together that you live together. And you don't move based on somebody getting in between you. All right? That's what it looks like to leave and to cleave, to be one flesh, he says after it. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. Wow. That same thing is supposed to be happening in the church, this oneness and this clinging. And we're Christ's bride. And he's saying, I want to hear from you. And I want to interact with you. And the gospel message on fire in your marriage, that's what it can look like. Okay? And uh, well, that's not going on in my marriage. What do I do? And uh, wives, we've said this a couple times, First Peter 3, 1 through 7. Get there if you need to. If your husband doesn't have it going on, that's where you need to be hanging out. And learning what it means to work with that marriage in gentleness and quietness, watching God have his way. So I just wrote this, one flesh, what's it mean? First of all, everybody give me the universal sign for one flesh. What's one? Right? Give it more. Seriously, is that all we have that know? What does one mean? Yeah, like this is what marriage is. Not this. Certainly not this. Far apart. This is what you're going after. One. So how do we get to oneness? I just wrote this. One in purpose. Make sure your purposes align with each other and you work that out. One in purpose. That'll affect, that'll show itself in decisions, activities, and budgets. One in purpose. One in the spiritual realm. Guys, as you care for her, as you help her to grow, as you talk through things that are rocking your world and you hear what's rocking hers, as you pray for her, one in the spiritual, one in the emotional realm. When she hurts, you hurt. When she's laughing, you're laughing. One in the physical realm. This is the one everybody thinks of, right? The oneness, and they're like, oh, that, that means sex. No, it means way more than that, okay? A oneness physically where you're caring for her and how she is physically. Yes, it involves sexuality, but it involves so much more. And so, yes, oneness in the physical realm. And it needs to be celebrated there. I've always taught this in our premaritals when we teach. Uh, it's a, the foundation 
is spiritual. The next layer up is the emotional relational. The final layer, that's the sexual, okay? And the world turns it all upside down. They start with sex and they'll try to end with the spiritual if they really get anywhere, okay? Go with it spiritual, then emotional relational, and then the sexual celebrated. That's a oneness piece. And the last one, uh, in your finances. Unity in your finances. Let me tell you, I've heard this more and more going on, so I'm gonna speak to it pretty directly. Be very careful Having two separate accounts and ladies, your money flowing into one and guys, your money flowing into the other and you have your own budgets, that's not oneness. You're not working through what God's doing in your home. And in fact, you're creating an environment that can get very nasty. And we've had some of it working with it counseling wise. Be cautious. Biblically, one. Give me the universal sign. And so what's it look like as I start thinking financially? Maybe how many accounts should I have? Right. And well, we have a couple of accounts that works pretty good. And hey, I'm okay if you want to have multiple accounts and you jointly have access to all of it and you're agreeing how to flow it. But as soon as I hear this phrase, her money, my money, I get a little afraid. All right. I'm just going to be honest with you. I start hearing I'm responsible for those bills. He's responsible for these bills. I met mine. He didn't meet his. Uh Uh-uh. You all didn't meet yours. You hearing me? So be very careful that it's not his and hers. There is a oneness. Bring that together. I'm not saying you have to have one bank account only. Please, no emails on that. That was an illustration. Like the point of how many bank accounts can you have? That's fine. Just know this. Y'all are working together on the plan. It's not hers, my money. Okay? It's ours. And you work it together. Enough said? Okay. Oneness is a divine mystery. He says this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church as well. Like, wow, we have a relationship with our God in oneness like that. And if you experienced him that way, get ready. It's an amazing opportunity. I want to tell you, oneness is uh, essential. And, um, and it can hurt at times. And, uh, this past week was a, an experience for us going through some oneness. And... Um, you know, early in the week, we got notice that uh, Jonna's stepdad um, has a Louis body dementia, all right? And uh, they said it could be a couple years, and they brought it down to six to nine months. Really, this week, we started hearing, they said, maybe just a couple of months. And so we started talking August. We'll get her out there to see him in Florida. And uh, so we had that plan. She was talking to her mom on midweek, and she said, I don't know if it's going to last that long. So we sat down and talked it through. Um, he ended up getting checked into hospice on Thursday. Like it really started going bad. So Jana uh, and I sat down and every decision we had made financially flipped right in that moment. Are you hearing me? Like we said, August, save some money, figure out, done. Priority on the heart of getting her with her dad and let's see what we can do. And we booked a ticket right then and there for her to get out next week on Wednesday. And uh, had that all set. And, um, and Jana got a call 11 o'clock Friday night that uh, her stepdad passed away. Fast. I'm telling you, fast. Had our family reeling. Uh, we sat down, talked it through with the kids. Listen, my job in that moment is to care for Jana and hurt with Jana as her. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's her dad, man. And I'm hurting with her and we're, we're longing in that moment. And that's a oneness as we hurt together. On that, 
And I'm telling you this. Our job, guys, always is to hear where they're at and be with them in that and walking through them with that. I don't know what God had in mind and what he had in store. Friday morning, I woke up at 547 in the morning. That doesn't happen. I woke up at 547 like this and I'm wide awake. Only a couple times in my life that's happened and it's always when something big is coming down. And we started praying and I said, John, I think something's happening with your mom and dad today. And so we prayed for John and we prayed for her mom. We prayed for family. And uh, that evening is when he passed away. And uh, you know what? God prepares us. Lead. God's giving us the opportunity to pull together a family and shepherd them. Oneness is what it's about. And as they hurt, you hurt. And as they laugh, you laugh. That's our job to be with them in it, guys. You hearing me? That's our job to be in it. It's what Christ does for us. So simple question. How are you doing with your oneness? How are you doing at hurting when she's hurting? Laughing when she's laughing? Is there some situation right now in your home that you need to get after caring for? Guys, lead in it. Take care of it. May there be a oneness sensed in your home, even today. All right? All right, last step. Wives and husbands. It's all about the love and respect. It's all about the love and respect. He says, verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Love and respect. Are you hearing it? Now, there's a book written like that. It's called Love and Respect. Well written, right? And uh, so get that book. It's a great book, Love and Respect. And it's just teaching what it means to see both sides of this. Please notice, it does not call wives to love. And I'm not even going to go into why that is. I think there's some, it's natural to cherish all that thing. I'm just telling you this, God's plan. Notice if you look back, why is respect? This is the first time he said the word respect. What's up with that? And uh, I really don't think it is. The word submission and respect, they go hand in glove. All right? It's one and the same. And he's saying, allow him to lead and work with him and show him that you're trusting in him and you're sitting under him as you sit under God. And that's what it means to respect and husband's love. We've talked about that. Now, the love and respect book makes a great observation. And uh, it goes like this. As the guy cherishes the wife... First half of this, as the guy cherishes the wife, she feels so loved and cherished that it's just this natural outpouring of respect and submission. And as she naturally respects and submits, he goes, this is awesome. And this is working so well. And so he starts pouring on some more love and, and it just starts going in and it can spiral up to this awesome marriage in love and respect. And just so you know, the same can happen on the other side. Um, he gets a little hurt. So he pulls back a little on the cherishing. And then she feels a little less loved. And so she pulls back a little on the respect. And, and then he feels a little more. So he pulls back and you're in the death spiral. And uh, how fast can that spiral out? You're getting along for weeks. And all of a sudden, in one moment, the words and the tone are off the charts. And what happened? I don't feel very cherished. And well, I'm not feeling very respected. And of course, we never use those words. It's you did this and you did this, Right. As we point fingers and it all unwinds. Love and respect. It's the core of keeping things together. All right? And uh, there's a great passage to just continue to pour over. I'm just telling you this. Guys, again, I'm going to call you lead. 
And uh, it is our job to lead the home and we will stand accountable in the end. So start now and be able to say, I want you to be able to sense God's love in this home. And even when it's not coming, it's coming from Christ. And that I will share out. And uh, let's see what happens. Well, that's not really fair. My wife's the one who's causing all the problems. <laughs> not, not when I talk to her. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It just, it goes both ways. Come on, be careful with this. Just stand up and do what you need to do. And don't worry about what the other party's doing. You'll be amazed what God can do. I'm not sure I get what that looks like, Tim. Can you give me an understanding or a feel of what that could look like? We got a video for you. Take a look at this. I got it work. First year of marriage was a little rough. We had our baby and... And that was full-time at a university now and full-time at work. And that was really frustrating for me. It seemed like if he wasn't at school or at work, um, he was sleeping or hanging out with his friends and, and I didn't really have a husband around the house and um, making dinners for nobody except the babies and, you know, doing laundry and the day in and day out chores of life. I felt like a single parent and I had explained that to him. So I was completely consumed with school and work and I told her multiple times, just wait till I'm done with my degree and you know everything's gonna get better. But it seemed really far away. Yeah, yeah. And so I was completely neglecting her as my wife. Because two months before that I had met somebody else um, outside of my marriage and he was meeting those needs and he adored me and he gave me that attention and made me feel loved and just everything that I had been wanting so badly from you. The moment for me when it, everything snapped was that Good Friday. And I was going to live from that day on no matter what the result was of who am I supposed to be, who does God, as, who did he always intend me to be. That's my focus was, I'm going to restore this and do whatever it takes. It was tough living together. We slept in different rooms and he would come in and he'd pray and I'd just turn my back to him. He, I mean, he would cry to me and he would make me breakfast in bed and he would tell me every day, that I'm beautiful on the inside and out. When she moved out, that's I mean, that just that just continued on because God still was allowing opportunities to interface with her, and it wasn't like complete shut off. And so, with every one of those opportunities, it was a I need to be humble here and still come and ask for forgiveness of when I would mess up or get angry. Or so she used to always say, "I don't deserve it." I said, well, "That's not the point. It's like, I shouldn't. I got to own up to my own." And that's what it was. It was God had to allow my heart to just be broken until I would actually see what I needed to be doing and how I should be a godly husband and, and what that was going to take. When I was going to church during the summer, there was a sermon about selfishness and 
I knew that that had hit home for me was that was the life I was leading was selfishness and you know the things that Jesus had died for that he had to suffer through and I'm sitting back enjoying them and it just it didn't feel right and I had a husband who loved me and wanted to be with me I just told him I said I, I can't do this anymore and we were in the car and I told him I said I, I have to be done with this and so he would say you know is this is this just because of God and and that hit hard for me it's like wait just because of God you don't understand what you're saying yeah this is because of God we got in an argument and I finally just yelled to him I said you are not my husband I cannot be with you and I went home that night and I cried and I just prayed for Jesus to give me the strength to get through this because I knew I couldn't do it alone the way he's forgiven me and the way he trusts me, I know that I've been forgiven not only by me, but by God. We know what it is to love deeply and wholeheartedly. Lots of things have changed. Our hands and feet are now in Jesus' and doing his work. tell you something, God can do amazing things if you just stop and listen to his voice alone. The end. That's what it needs to look like. Guys, follow what Christ has given you as an example. Ladies, trust in your God who's got this thing in hand and take steps together. Wives and husbands bringing together a marriage of God that is on fire. That's what we're looking for. And I love the story of Nathan and Carrie sitting second row, 11 o'clock service, doing the greeting and working with some tough marriages now. And, and just, uh, wow, a year and a half later, what God's done. May marriages in this place erupt with our God at work in them. That's my prayer. What does it take for you today to start seeing that in your life? That's what we need to go after. Let's pray.